Marvelites, welcome. You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 377. I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Marvel's Agent M. And I'm Jamie, a.k.a. Agent 39. Yeah, you're 39 today, today. as we're recording. I turned 38 just a few days ago. Uh, I'm also now a cruise person. Yeah. I have seawater in my veins. Oh, you should see his beach waves. They're yep. glorious. So good. But we are not alone this episode. We are joined by Tucker Marcus, a.k.a. Agent uh, A+. Plus. Yeah. yeah. All right. Oh, you did <laughs> it. I saw you like l- losing it for a second, but you you picked it back up. That's Got it. And such is my way. Yeah, we're both so proud of you. Oh, thanks, mom and dad. Oh, you're welcome, son. <laughs> Tucker is co-host of Marvel's Pull List with me, uh, and Tucker is here for a reason. I'm not going to tell you why, Ooh. but we're going to get to that a little bit. First, though, we have to talk about the biggest news of the week, which is that the first trailer and poster for Spider-Man: Far From Home dropped this week. They came out while I was on the Marvel Day at Sea Disney Cruise, so I watched the trailer a few times as soon as we got back to Miami on my phone, and my wife was watching me watch it. She's like, gimme, gimme, gimme. So I had to give her my phone, and I was watching it, and it is amazing. I know on Marvel.com we got some really cool info on Mysterio. There's some news articles and some behind-the-scenes and origins, all kinds of stuff, and Mysterio is played by Jake Gyllenhaal in the film. If you have not seen the trailer, it is available on Marvel.com. It is available on Marvel's YouTube. It is probably... Available on your watch, on your, if you have one of those connected refrigerators. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's everywhere. It's on your smart toilet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good old right smart toilets. So that is our biggest news of the week, but uh, we have some fun stuff ahead. Our big talk and our interview this week is about The Punisher, uh, and we are joined by Mr. Matthew Rosenberg, writer of The Punisher. He and I go into Punisher history, his history with Frank Castle, and so much more. And there's there's even more Punisher stuff, which we're going to get to a little bit later. But now it's on to things we're hyped about this week, comma, including news. And we, uh, we already talked about one movie, but we're not going to stop there. Because you need to check out 10 character posters that were just released for Marvel Studios' Captain Marvel. We got Carol, and some Kree, and some Skrulls, and some S.H.I.E.L.D. folks, and more. But most importantly, there's a poster for Goose the Cat. Oh, yeah. And what a beautiful pose this cat is in. This cat must be a model. I know. I'm, I'm so thrilled for this, for this cat's career to be a model slash actor. Yeah. You can check out all the posters on Marvel.com. And uh, another a bunch of things we have on Marvel.com, which you two were very involved in, are uh, all the stuff we did for Fantastic Four World's Greatest Week. Oh, you betcha. And so if you missed any of that, dear listener, you can go check out recaps. There's tons of articles and videos and news and all kinds of stuff, right? Yes, you can go to Marvel.com slash Fantastic Four Week to see everything. We've got a handy-dandy wrap-up post that has every story that went out. But yeah, we've got a nice little landing page for you where it's just all on display, everything you've wanted to know about. There's actually a really great Doom spotlight that looks at Doom as the hero of his own story, Mm. like from that perspective, and it was a really fun one. He is. He's the greatest hero. (laughs) He just wants peace, man. It was it was a it was a great week. Uh, happy birthday! Because Thank you. <laughs> uh, as a birthday gift to yourself and Marvelites everywhere, yeah, you did this amazing uh, wrap up article where it's like the perfect place to start. Jump in, click the links, read all about uh, all your favorite Fantastic Four stories and heroes and everything. Um, yeah, it's really fun. Yeah, one of the things that I saw coming back was that we finally released our first look at War of the Realms, and this is the Marvel thing I'm most excited for in 2019. So the first look. First interior pages have been shown. It's art by Russell Dodderman and Matthew Wilson. Of course, it's written by Jason Aaron. So gorgeous. Like, I remember I had seen these pages a while ago. I think it might have been just black and white. But it starts to give you the sense of scale that we're looking at for this. This event feels too small. Epic feels too small. This is just so big and massive and exciting. But those pages are just the best. Anything I associate with... Anything Thor is always the most colorful and lush looking. Mm-hmm. It's like a feast for the eyes to look at this stuff. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of talk about events and event series uh, at Marvel Comics and things like that. But, you know, I was doing some research yesterday about Jason Aaron and, and, and looking back at when each of the previous nine realms fell before, you know, Malekith and his armies are coming to Midgard and looking back to see when. All of these machinations started when Jason Aaron really started sowing the seeds for this. Like, we're talking five 
six plus years ago. So to see it all culminating with this is so exciting. And really, um, you know, being a huge, huge fan of Mighty Thor. So to see those pages from War of the Realms number one was just like coming home and just the colors is just like exploding off the page. It's going to be huge uh, and like excitement doesn't even describe it. Heck yeah. yeah. Now, the last bit of hype that we want to talk about this week is something we needed a little extra help with, which is why we brought in the ringer, Mr. Tucker Marcus. We're talking about Major X, a six-issue limited series written by Rob Liefeld. I love Rob. He is, he's like, if you take a rabid wolverine and you put it in a small jar, <laughs> and he's, he's just like, ah! He's so excited and he's got so much energy and he's going to tear your face off but also hug you at the same time. Oh, he sounds he sounds furry. He's not furry. <laughs> he is writing this six-issue limited series, drawing issues one and six, the other four issues drawn by other artists, including Wills Portacio, who I also love. Wills drew my favorite handshake in Marvel Comics history. Wow. It is X-Factor 67, I think, and it is a, a story. It's the end of the original X-Factor team, which is like... Cyclops and, and the original X-Men, they became X-Factor. And the X-Factor team is on the moon and they are going after Apocalypse. It's really the end of this arc. They're going to get a new team really soon. The, all the X-Books are just about to get rebooted. And so they go to the moon and they get help from the Inhumans and Cyclops and Black Bolt. They, like, <laughs> there's this page or it's a panel of the two of them. They look like majestic godmen and they grab each other's arms like this. And it's like <laughs> muscles exploding and like... In my head, it's fireworks and yeah. masculinity, and you can <laughs> smell the musk, and it is incredible. Moon is, musk. Yeah, moon musk. <laughs> it is one of my favorite panels of all time. I think about that, like, such energy in something so simple, and that is what Wills does so well. He produces energy in every single panel. So I'm very excited for that, and, and there's lots more info, which, Tucker, you're the one to give it to us. Yeah, I, it was... Really, really exciting to sit down and chat with Rob. I mean, I'd never spoken to him before, so I didn't really know what to expect. But he's just like the most excited, like charismatic speaker about these things. You can just tell how much he loves it and really how excited he is to come back to the House of Ideas to to do this story. And issue number one will be coming to your local comic shop in April. So, uh, so much happening in all of Marvel Mutantdom. So, yeah, it was uh, great to sit down and talk to him. Heck yeah, well... Let's hear your chat with Rob Liefeld right now. Hi, Rob. This is Tucker Marcus from uh, Marvel.com. Tucker, what's up? How you doing, man? Thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. We're really excited to Are talk to you. Are you kidding me? I'm so excited <laughs> to talk to you. Oh, awesome. This has been a very long time coming. Very I know. Long time seriously, seriously. But just to kick us off with Major X, the lore has kind of been that... This was an idea that you have had for a really long time. Can you talk about that, where the idea originally came oh, from? Oh, yeah. No, no, no. So I did, I think, two and a half years on the New Mutants and X-Force, and we had a great time. But like anybody, you got tons of uh, stories that you didn't get to tell. Mm -hmm. And uh, over time, I've revisited these characters. Uh, I've done different stints with X-Force and Cable and Deadpool over the years since, but this is a pretty big one. Major X is a a pretty giant undertaking. And so, yeah, in the door, sitting there going, could I, should I, you know? <laughs> and so CB reached out to me, yeah. asked me if I was interested in doing some X stuff. I was uh, obviously very excited. And this renewed focus on the X-Men is something that excites me as a fan because that's my family of books that I've loved since I was a kid. Yeah. And uh, obviously was a uh, privilege to, get on board and, and make some magic in the X office there for many years. And so I pitched this to CB. I'm like, well, I need you to sit down. I'm going to, this is kind of a big deal. And I literally, I was like, I, he's going to say no. Yes, Rob, <laughs> I love it. let's do it. Uh, okay. And uh, from there, obviously I had to write the six issues. And uh, each time I'm like, can I do this? And uh, it's exciting because major X is a, pretty big disruptor in the scheme of the storylines. And I, my whole thing was always to throw a new wrench in the works, the works being the X-Men universe. So with Major X coming from literally a different plane of existence, which is called the X-istance, 
which is a safe haven or a Shangri-La, as I've said, for mutants that they have found this peaceful existence in and suddenly it's threatened and terrorized and Major X, his home is taken from him. And he makes the jump in a last-ditch effort to try and save his home and the world that he knows and arrives in the Marvel continuity, the X-Men continuity. But the first jump didn't quite land him where he needed to go, so it was pretty exciting to put him in 1991, Mm. somewhere between New Mutants 98 and X-Force 1. I mean, again, I'm like, and and we're good with this? And (laughs) I was like... Yeah, this is cool. I'm like, okay. Uh, no, literally, this has been this has been an absolute dream, and I've had as much fun doing this as when I was romping it up back in 1990. Yeah. I mean, actually, the Marvel Classics 90s came out, and like you guys put them out by era, 70s, 80s, mm-hmm. Marvel first. I'm looking at it right now, and I'm like, where, where, where where's Cable? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh crap, Cable's 1989. He actually. <laughs> He's actually an 80s character. Like, he's identified as a 90s character because he blew up. Yeah. But it's like his actual appearance. So I can go like, yeah, I'm an 80s guy. I took over the meetings in the 80s. I'm so old. I'm so damn old. <laughs> but I love it. I love it. This has been like, I don't feel my age doing this stuff. It's very exciting. So I'll let you ask another question and I'll take a breath. Oh, no, no. I mean, that that's so fascinating to hear. I mean, I'm really curious as Major X has kind of clearly been marinating in your mind for quite a while, yeah. when you were writing the story, did it just pour out of you? Did you know the, the beats of the story down panel by yes. panel? Or, or And what was the task in talking to CB and the X office and weaving that into what's happening in a larger scale with the mutants right now? So CB comes to me. He asks if I'm interested in doing the next project. Yeah. I reroute him and say, well, I'd like to do this Major X thing. Is this something you're interested in? He says, yes. What I gave him was an an overview. I mean, mm-hmm. like I said, I've had this. Yeah. And and as you know, I'm my entire career I have generated my comics work from Southern California. Mm-hmm. So I am not in New York City. I don't know what's going on with the characters. I don't I'm not part of the editorial retreats. So I, I figured I needed to get, you know, the clearances and I was asking to use certain characters and I mean C B and, and, and Jordan White cleared the table, cleared the path for me. And at that point, yeah, no, the the, the you know the story, uh, I, I, again, when something builds this long in, in, inside of you, and the entire reason I wanted to introduce the existence was to give something other than time travel um, mm-hmm. a, a, as, as a, 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 a portal of new ideas or a new, poss- new possibilities. Um, time travel has been so great to the X-Men and the X-Men have been great to time travel. I've used it myself, obviously to launch, you know, an entire franchise. And, uh, but this time around I was like, Hey, you know what, what if we did something even weirder and what's weirder than like another, you know, dimension. And and we're going to answer what fuels the existence. How does it exist? Where does it exist? We will answer all those questions and you'll find out how devoted and loyal major X and these other characters who live there were. I'm no stranger to putting my characters into great peril. And, you know, I, I, I think part of it is I had to repopulate New Mutants in order to give it the pulse that it got. I was a young 20-something kid. They asked me to give it a makeover. I took it seriously. You got Cable, Deadpool, Domino, Shatterstar, X-Force, all those characters that I'm looking at right now as pops and action figures mm-hmm. and Lego all on my table. They've had a glorious lifespan over the last 28 years. They've lived as digital video game pixels, as plastic, porcelain, clay, you name it. I've been very fortunate with introducing characters and concepts, and I grew up loving Claremont's X-Men stuff. I felt like he knew his way around a good soap opera. My mom and my sister were raised on soap operas. I watched them in the summer. You know, Luke and Laura and all that general hospital crap <laughs> dates me terribly, but it was riveting and daytime television was getting 20 million viewers. I mean, that was crazy, yeah. but it was, it was uh, sci-fi dual identities. And when guys like, you know, Jeff Jones tell you, he, he told me, you know, Rob, that big reveal was strife and you means 100 just blew me away. And then the reveal that Domino wasn't Domino but with some doppelganger named Vanessa and you had Domino like hanging in some 
Where? Yeah. I'm like, yep, yep. That that's a boy raised on soap operas right there. <laughs> um, and so, um, I was eight years old when I got Giant Size X Men number one. The previous version of the X Men was not as interesting to me as the Avengers and the Fantastic Four for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. But this new team, Colossus, Wolverine, Nightcrawler, Storm, I was just completely riveted by. They became my instant, my favorite team, just visually. But then the stories. And all of the layers that were peeled back on on Wolverine and his his heritage and Weapon X, and he has a healing factor, and he looks thirty, but he's really a hundred years old. And who's his daddy? And what's the program he came from? And then he goes to Japan and he adopts the samurai, the Japanese culture. I mean, it was all those twists and turns and unexpected paths that forged guys my age. We were the first to bond with Wolverine, and he's still our favorite to this day. Mm-hmm. And uh, I took those lessons, I applied them to Cable, Deadpool, Domino, all of X-Force. And uh, now I'm bringing Major X into the fold. And I, I think, uh, you know, the work that the team is doing, including myself, I've got my partner in crime from 1990s Explosion, which is called the Explosion mm-hmm. of the 90s when Uncanny X-Men X-Force and X-Men launched. Wills Portacio is X-Men royalty. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he agreed to participate in this, I made sure he had a crucial chapter and the pages he turned in, I, I fell off my seat. I was like, oh my gosh, Wills is into this. I love writing for artists and I try and write stuff that I would be thrilled in terms of drawing. And uh, so seeing the pages from Wills and then I got a uh, young talent who is uh, pretty fresh in the industry and is doing his first Marvel work named Brent Peoples. Mm who's doing uh, several chapters. I'm doing the bookends. And it just feels, honestly, I've always said, like, with New Mutants and X-Force, I was in the right right place at the right time. And I think Major X, I mean, it's wild. i got to be honest. I can't believe all the stuff I was able to do. <laughs> it's wow. crazy. It's literally, I'm like, this is awesome. And it's a great time to be doing this at Marvel. I'm not sure Major X works last year or next year, but it's 2019, and... I think the time's right, and, and people are, are, are ready for Major X. That's incredibly exciting. I, I want to ask one last question here. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. You alluded to the legacy of so many of your incredible characters, your yes. series. As a creator, from a creative perspective specifically, uh-huh. do you find that there's a difference in uh, how you approach things nowadays versus how you did 25 years ago? Is there uh, Does the success of your characters that you've spoken about, Cables, Dominoes, Deadpools, does that inform you in a different way nowadays? What's it like coming back to write Major X in 2019, just as you said, thinking back to writing The Mutants yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, in the early 90s? Well, look, it's part of the history books. It's statistic. The X-Men was the runaway hit, and mm. New Mutants was trailing further and further behind it. It didn't seem like it was connecting with the audience. I analyzed New Mutants and asked if I could bring this Cable character into the book, a different sort of leader figure than Xavier or Magneto, but very powerful. And he had to take center stage, take command. And he was introduced in a very deliberate fashion. I feel like CB is, and Jordan have allowed me the same thing that the editorial team of of yesteryear did. They just said, hey, just go have fun. Fill this stuff up with your fun ideas. And so today I go in, CB, He's the editor-in-chief. He says, we want to step up the X-Men. Well, I think everyone's seen in the last few months, the spotlight has returned to the X-Men family of books, some big launches, some exciting stuff. I can tell as a fan of Marvel Comics that the X-Men has a renewed vigor. It feels like a new renaissance of of ideas and energy in the X-Men office. So being asked to contribute in this kind of new energy that's going on and help fuel it, is exciting, but also, I mean, you take a gamble. You go, do I believe that the time is right for this character, this character's look, this character's name, this character's attitude, his interactions, mm-hmm. his story, and you just lay it out there. And the, the funny thing is, when I'm writing the first couple issues, which are Major X lands in basically 1990, I'm literally writing the Cable and the Deadpool and the Shatterstar right of my youth. There may be some commentary you see mixed in there, you know, being able to go back in time and kind of, it's almost like, what would you say to your younger self? Well, I I get to say that here. It's very exciting to especially have the major 
interacting with these other friends of mine. Yeah. And I do want to stress that to complete his mission, Major X has to come to the present where we are, right. where Marvel Comics present is. And there's a, that is not an easy task for him. I make it very difficult, you know, cause come on, your, your hero needs challenges, right? Right. So I've been very fortunate in the X office. I speak fluent X-Men. Yeah. You know, my, my resume is strongest in the X office. So I, I guess I'm putting it all out there with this one, but it, it feels, it feels right. I mean, that's so incredible to hear. I mean, ridiculously exciting as someone who reads every book every week this is like the perfect mix of past and present and, and new and old in all the best ways. So, so grateful for you taking the time to talk today and, and to dig into all these issues here with me. No, I, I'm so, I, it, this was great. Thank you so much for talking to me and, and uh, hoping for the best. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rob. All right. Thanks, buddy. Take Have a care. good day. Okay, big thanks to Rob and top books for this week on Marvel's The Pull List. While you're here, we had a great week. Yeah, this it was a great week. Our picks were Black Panther number eight, Black Widow number one, Fantastic Four number six, and Invaders number one. And when you listen to our episode of Marvel's The Pull List, which is out now, there's even more. We were like really close to the edge of picking. Yeah, it was it was like uh, something we spoke about at length on the episode is just like the amount of drama in all the best ways this week is so cool to hear. And, uh, you know, Chip Zdarsky has been on Twitter a lot talking about Invaders. There's been so much reaction to that, which was one of my picks of the week, and I just loved it so much. It almost feels Shakespearean. It felt like Hamlet or something. But, uh, yeah, that that is just the tip of the iceberg for all the good stuff this week. Heck yeah. I also really loved Black Widow, so shout out to the Sauce oh, yeah. Sisters. Yeah, so good. Well, thanks, Tucker. Get out of here. All right, bye. Go back to work. Do our dot-coms. Okay, so before we head on to the next part of the show, I want to give a shout-out and a thank you to our advertiser this week, Marvel Strike Force. It's where heroes and villains unite, and you can fight alongside the world's greatest heroes and the most dangerous villains in this epic and visually stunning role-playing game. In Marvel Strike Force, the world is under attack, and it's up to you to recruit a team made up of your favorite superheroes and supervillains to eliminate the mega threat. Save the world and feel like a hero in this Marvel adventure. Exploding onto the scene later this month is Strike's newest hero, War Machine. This is awesome because War Machine is an area of effect blaster capable of leveling the enemy lines with the help of his shoulder-mounted laser Gatling gun, precision missile pods, and good old-fashioned teamwork. When War Machine and Iron Man squad up, this is super cool, the two mechanized warriors deal devastating amounts of bonus damage. And, of course, true to his name, War Machine will get a special bonus in the upcoming game mode, Alliance War. And I love Era of Effect characters in, in any game, especially in Marvel Strike Force. Uh, you want to take down as many villains as you can in one go, and he's going to be really, really cool. Very cool. So complete your Avengers team with the lean, mean war machine and download Marvel Strike Force today. And because this is a big old fun time Punisher extravaganza, we're going to talk about Marvel's Punisher Season 2. And Jamie, you got to go to the set. I did. It was a really fun set visit. Uh, It was in the middle of the summer, super hot. And as were the cast, super hot cast. (laughs) But uh, something that was very cool was everything that they got to tell us about Frank's new direction. We met with a lot of the supporting cast, including the other main villain, because as we all know, Billy Russo is coming back. We've seen the teasers. He's looking a little rough, which is hard for Ben Barnes to do, but it's he's looking rough. Uh, so Billy Russo is the main antagonist, but there is another one. His name is Pilgrim. He's played by Josh Stewart, who, as expected, was not allowed to reveal too much about his character, except that he seems to be a real zealot type. The scene that we got to watch him film on set was with him, and he's one of those characters who's scarier when he's quiet oh yeah yeah like because you just don't know what he's gonna do i like that i think that's very effective i agree i agree it's a little hitchcockian it's you're just waiting for him to fly off the handle but he might just say something really scary yeah who what about some of the new actors so one of the other new actors we met was floriana lima and she plays Krista, who is Billy Russo's therapist. She's a very big part of his journey this season. She, of course, could not reveal a lot about herself. But also the costume designer told us a little bit about her style, which was described as buttoned up. So she just inherently is not a very revealing person. She's keeping a lot hidden 
physically and, you know, professionally. So it's that's going to be a very interesting relationship to watch. But having a therapist and, you know, like your mind starts to run into the possibilities there between her and Billy, which would be interesting. Yeah. I mean, as we can see from the teasers from Marvel's Punisher season two, Billy's in a very vulnerable state. He was very deeply traumatized by what Frank did to him. Um <laughs> As we all saw, that was a real mess. But, you know, this doesn't come without consequences. And I think this is what's going to make Billy Russo such an intriguing villain is that he's suffering. He's going through a real post-traumatic experience. And now his therapist is privy to his deepest, most vulnerable thoughts. So, yeah. So then in addition to Krista, there is Georgia Wiggum, the actress who's playing Amy, who's the teen runaway who befriends slash tags along with Frank Castle. Her relationship with Frank is going to be a lot of fun to watch since, one, she's keeping her own secrets, and two, Frank is partially out of New York, sort of out of his element this season. But, I mean, as a guy who, for the most part now, rolls solo, does his own thing... Sure, he had some connections in the first one, but yeah. in in this season, having another person around him, you never know what that brings up. Yeah, one one thing that was brought up was that Amy is around the age that Frank's daughter would have been. So this brings up a very interesting potential for Frank's emotions, what Frank's feeling. That's a dangerous thing for a dude who needs to be focused. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, we need, we need our Frank focused. I think everything is engineered to make that impossible for him so then of course our returning cast members amber rose riva who plays dina madani jason armore plays curtis and ben barnes is billy russo we got to talk to all of them they're all in very different places this season and um they couldn't tell us anything (laughs) (laughs) great except that we know that dina has also suffered from this experience from season one she is not handling the revelations about Billy Russo very well. Mm. We know that they had a very tenuous and secretive, weird, double agenty sort of relationship in season one, and it was all revealed, and neither one was very happy about it. So, sure, sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they're all back. They're going to be a lot of fun. Ben Barnes had really interesting things about to say about Billy Russo and where he is this season, mentally, emotionally, physically. He's a mess. Are you putting up uh, an article on Marvel.com with some of these quotes and stuff? Oh, yeah. That'd be great. Oh, yeah. Cool. Definitely. There's beautiful set visits. We'll so. link to those in the uh, the news article. Yep. Totally. So this season of Marvel's Punisher is a bit more spread out. It's not just in New York. We were shown some of the sets from Frank's adventures outside of New York, including a trailer, which was designed to look as if it had not been touched since maybe the early 80s. It was delightfully tacky, very eclectic. Really just a collection of junk and souvenirs that I love. Give me some details. What would you see? What were some of the things that you picked up on? Oh, man. I found the real star of the show, and it is a blowfish. Oh, like a, like a puffer fish? It's a puffer fish. Ah. There's, there was a puffer fish in the trailer. I took a picture like of it. swimming around or like... Uh, oh, I'm not even going to say. I feel like I have to leave a little suspense where the blowfish is concerned. It's a decoration. It was a, it was a decoration. Yeah. I when you say 80s I imagine like pictures of like the posters that like teenage boys in the the early 80s have you see in like 80s movies of like models and they're in like workout gear and like holding like tiny dumbbells and they've got like oh, Jane Fonda. And they're like ah, and like it's being spritzed. It's not quite that happy. It's a little oh. more desolate, a got little it. more more sad. So oh. imagine that but like the sad version. Mm. So, like, people who are in the middle of the country, there's no internet because it's been since the 80s. It was so tacky and gross. I even recognized tiles from, like, one of my parents' houses. We also talked to showrunner Stephen Lightfoot, who noted that this is the season in which Frank truly leans into becoming the Punisher. Considering where we left Frank, discovering that Billy, who was was his best friend, betrayed him and played a role in his family's murder... And then he expressed his dissatisfaction with that by acquainting Billy's face with a carousel mirror. It's clear that he's going to be figuring out his new purpose. The Punisher is all about Frank's never-ending vicious cycle, making sure people get what they deserve 
by committing equally violent acts himself and the karmic struggle that comes with that. So if there's anything we can count on in a new season of Punisher, it's that. Basically, Frank's not a happy dude. No. No. Uh, so uh, there will be articles uh, from all the details and things you saw and the quotes and all the interviews you did. You can check those out on Marvel.com. We'll make sure they are linked in the news story. Yeah, check them all out. Very fun. Very fun set visit. Before we get into even more Punisher talk, I want to give another shout out to our other advertiser this episode, Marvel MasterCard. Big thanks to them. And of course, we were just talking about Marvel's Punisher Season 2, which is exclusively on Netflix. But, you know, if you have a night out, a comic book, you want to stream your favorite show, such as Marvel's Punisher Season 2, exclusively on Netflix, all of those could be earning you cashback rewards. Just use the Marvel MasterCard. Learn how at marvelmastercard.com slash twim. You could earn 3% cashback rewards paid as a statement credit on comic books, movies, restaurants, and more with the Marvel MasterCard. And 1% cashback rewards paid as a statement credit on all other purchases. There's no limit on the cashback rewards you can earn. Enjoy special Marvel benefits like three months of a Marvel Unlimited subscription. And you can choose your superhero from one of six very cool card designs too, like Iron Man, Black Panther, and Spider-Man, just to name a few. Visit marvelmastercard.com slash twim to learn more and apply today. marvelmastercard.com slash T-W-I-M. All right, now it is time for uh, the real meat and potatoes of this episode with Mr. Meat and Potatoes himself, Matthew Rosenberg. I don't know. I've eaten a (laughs) lot of meat with Matt. He loves a good hamburger, sometimes eats his potatoes. I think the last time he and I had hamburgers together, he didn't eat his french fries. Anyway, he is a huge Punisher fan, and he's very fortunately writing a fantastic run on the Punisher comics right now. We're going to get into his origins with the Punisher, some of his thoughts about the character of Frank Castle, uh, his appreciation for the fans, all kinds of things in this conversation about the Punisher, which you're going to hear right now. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? You got uh, a nice long night's sleep. You uh, <laughs> have been relaxing in this new year. You're you're good and fresh and ready to roll. Yeah, having uh, writers record a podcast before noon is a little rough, but <laughs> on a Monday, why? Well, do, do Mondays don't matter. Yeah, I was about Mondays to say weekends matter. are just irrelevant. To, yeah. We're here to talk about The Punisher, uh, a little bit of a Punisher 101, because, of course, we have the fantastic Punisher comic written by you and a brand new season of Marvel's Punisher exclusively on Netflix about to release. So some of this may be basic-ass basics to some of you listening, but you need to know. All right, first thing you need to know about The Punisher is he is fun. He's a fun guy. (laughs) Everybody thinks he's the funniest. No, that's not true. No. Uh, I'm already lying to the people. Yeah. All right, well, let's start at the beginning. Punisher first appeared in Amazing Spider-Man number 129, which actually came out. Uh, I have a great resource for actual release dates going mm. back pretty far. October 30th, 1973, even though the cover date is February 1974. What that means, Matthew, is that we can celebrate Frank's 45th anniversary either last year or this year. I- I'm doing both. Yeah, right? I'm doing both, yeah. Like all the time, you just yeah. like go around waving your Punisher flags yeah. and like- Like it's his, still his 45th anniversary. Yeah. He was created by writer Jerry Conway and artist John Romita Sr. and Ross Andrew. And John was art director at the time. And he's like, he tweaked it as he does, gave him the big skull and sure. turned him into the iconic character we know today. And then Ross Andrew was the first artist to fully draw him in an issue. Yes. I have that issue too. 129? Yeah, I saved up all summer when I was a kid to get it. For a second, I was like, you weren't born in no, 1970. It was, it was in the back issues. I don't remember how much it was, but I saved my allowance all summer, and my parents kept being like, what are you doing? Like, wh- why are you saving money? And I came back with just this one comic, and they were just so disappointed. Do you remember how much you paid for it? Yeah, I feel like it was it was over 100 bucks. In what year-ish? The early 90s. Yeah. So right in the middle of Punisher Mania. Yeah, yeah. But I had Punisher Mania bad. Well, I think everyone, Marvel had Punisher Mania real <laughs> That's bad true. for That's a true. while. And then what I found was interesting that the character had a couple different names. I've heard Executioner, the Assassin, yeah. all this other stuff. The story goes that Stan named him the Punisher. Uh-huh. Maybe apocryphal could just be, you know, a good story. What I find interesting is you have four people involved in the creation of this character. It takes a village. This is true. This is true. Uh, In creating comic books, it's a lot of people have their hands in it. And ultimately, we get something really great most of the time. Um, Always. Always. A hundred percent. All right. Yeah. Marvel Comics comics is great. (laughs) What do you remember about that first appearance comic? 
Because I, I remember him being, he's not fully formed. He's not fully formed. He's a pretty slim idea there. The thing that I think is interesting is that my introduction to him was later stuff, his own series, the miniseries and stuff. Jumping ahead. Yeah, and he's not a villain. He's an anti-hero and a bad guy, but in the first appearance, he's a villain. He's the bad guy. Even though he, I think he does kill he, some bad guys. He kills well. some bad guys, but he's hunting Spider-Man. Yeah. Which and, is going to put you on the wrong side of history. Yeah, yeah. Historically, we found that the people who are trying to kill Spider-Man are not the good guys. And so it's interesting to see him it was interesting for me as a kid to like go backwards and look at sort of the DNA of the Punisher and seeing where it changed. And that's actually what I love about the character is that it there's an interesting balance of like changes and evolution and a stark lack of evolution <laughs> um, that I think is really fun and fascinating that I think the, the best Punisher stories have always played with. But that first issue really has like the bones of what everyone else is built off of. Yeah, because we don't get the origin men. I think we learned that he was a Marine. He's a great skilled fighter. Weapons guy, like a very capable killer. Uh, he's, he's angry. He's quite angry. He's quite angry. I yeah. mean, think of the cultural context of it too, because there were these real life vigilantes and serial killers and and people who were doing dangerous things. I mean, we were far from being born at that time. Sure. Yeah. But New York City, from everything we know, is a very dangerous place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was that, that was still a thing. I'm a little bit past the Warriors. Panic and Needle Park era of New York. That was before my time, but I, I was born here and I grew up here. And um, it's still the Punisher. You understand very well the way that the city contributes to who the Punisher is just as much as the Punisher is a character of his own formation. Like New York City in the 70s went bankrupt. There was no garbage collection. There was rioting. There was a drug epidemic. There was a boom in homelessness. And all of this led to a city that was a little bit frightening for a lot of people, but later becomes this character that is cleaning up the city and tough on crime. And it is sort of a like fascinating fantasy of of like this hardline <laughs> revenge on on taking back the city. It's it's kind of terrifying and kind of it's really an interesting sort of snapshot of New York at the time. Yeah. And then, I mean, it even spilled out in New York beyond the Punisher comics with like movies like Dirty Harry sure. or or um, Death, Death Wish. Wish. Yeah. You know, like it's fascinating to look at all that stuff. Yeah, the opening of Death Wish was filmed like four blocks from the house I grew up in. So it was all like, Ugh. yeah. What is Frank Castle's origin as you think of it? I'll preface that for listeners, because of the sliding scale of Marvel time sure, and stuff like sure. that, it does sort of shift. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting because originally, you know, he is a Vietnam vet returning from the war. And to me, that was always very important. Culturally, that's a that's a real defining point for the way we treated veterans was very difficult, very rough and coming back from that war. But with Marvel's evolution, he's a vet returning from war and he comes home to sort of attempting an idyllic suburban life. And his family is killed in the crossfire of a gangland hit in Central Park. And he takes it upon himself to become a one-man war on crime. Yeah. There's actually an interesting debate because uh, Garth Ennis, who, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the iconic Punisher writer, he went back and did Punisher Born, where you see Punisher in the war. And he ha is very Punisher-like, well before his family is killed. So that's an interesting debate that people sort of discuss of whether or not the death in Central Park is the origin of the Punisher or if there was something in him before that made him this way. So that's the origin. We, we learned about that. But 1973, the character emerges. Then it's not until 1985 where we get the first limited series, yes. uh, which is interesting because you think about a character like Cosmic Ghost Rider or mm -hmm. Piers... And then, like, immediately has his own sure. series or Gwenpool, you know, shows up or Spider-Gwen or mm -hmm. characters nowadays. Often we see, like, the gem that these characters are and we immediately get a series out of them. But Punisher, for over a decade, is showing up in little bits and pieces in Daredevil or Spider-Man or whatever. Yeah. It took a long time, I think, for them to figure out he's an excellent foil character. He's an excellent character to bounce others off because he is so stark and so myopic in his mission and his goals that it's easy to take a Spider-Man or a Daredevil and 
even a kingpin and sort of, you know, balance them against him and sort of define them off of him. So it took them, I think, a long time to realize like, well, he's actually more than just this sort of one note thing. There is something really interesting there. And that miniseries, besides having some of the greatest covers of all time. Mike Zek covers who did the interiors as well. The first cover is just like classic iconic. But then the fifth one, I think he's like shifted to the side a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's got that look on his face. Yeah, he looks angry. Why? We're going to drill deeper into why he's so angry. Yeah. But those are great. There was uh, that series written by Stephen Grant, Mike Zeckart. Yeah. So good. Uh, there are very few artists I feel like where you're like, this is the version of the character that everyone else aspires to. And the Mike Zeck version of the Punisher to me is as iconic and singular as a vision of a character as you get. It's flawless. Yeah. So th- that limited series, then we get to 1987, the launch of the, the first ongoing series, written by Mike Barron, art by Klaus Janssen, and that first cover by Klaus is also, to me, one of those like sure. very iconic Punisher images of him. It's a hotel room, yes. and there's like bad guys in the hotel room, and he's outside the window with a friggin' rocket launcher. Yeah, it's a good entrance. It's a good a good way to – that's how I get into every hotel I go to also. That series is – they let you know how they were starting it right there Yeah, on the cover. Go big or go home. Yeah. That series ran for a long time, almost like 10 years, give mm-hmm. or take. A lot of fun stuff. And I was doing some – I was looking through some info. I believe – I think I counted this correctly – 13 limited or ongoing series titled simply The Punisher, including a few of the Knights and Max series, not – Counting Punisher Max, which Max was in the title, but there was a Punisher Max, Max series, series that was just yeah. the Punisher. Yeah. I think there's 13 of just the Punisher. And then yeah, tons more. Yeah, I think my Punisher run, the run going now, I think is volume 13. That's right. Yeah. Because I think Becky's and Steve Dillon's was volume 12. Yeah. But we were we were talking about it a little bit. When we were kids, Punisher was huge. At one point in the early 90s, there were four Punisher books like new on the stands. You had The Punisher. Sure. You had Punisher Armory. Great book. We're going to get into that in a second. Punisher War Journal. Also great book. Great book. And Punisher War Zone. Yes. Also, that is a good book. (laughs) All right. What is Punisher Armory? (laughs) Punisher Armory is an exploration of all of the Punisher's weapons and tools. It is not the kind of book that I think a lot of people would be picking up today. But as a kid, I loved it. It's a real behind-the-scenes sort of look at how he operates. Like, he's doing crazy cool stuff and using cool weapons every issue. And Armory was, like, just that. It's like 10 issues, 22 pages or whatever of, like, Oh, here's a setup of his sniper rifle, like looking at a window. Here's like his cup of coffee, like yeah. a night, like all this stuff. And they're like, okay, that's one page. Yeah, yeah. Then next page. And then you got the battle van. Yeah, the battle the, the battle van is the one I remember really well. Yeah. The battle van is amazing because yeah. it's like this thing that's always sort of omnipresent in the books. And then to really like get a tour of it was hilarious and amazing. Even as a kid, I was like, this is very strange. <laughs> like, I, but, but I was sort of what was amazing about it was that like you weren't getting anything else like that at a comic shop. You weren't yeah. getting like how the Avengers' weapons worked or how their powers worked. There weren't well, those books. Elliot R. Brown did a lot of those cutaways. Remember the cutaways? That oh, yeah, in, like, yeah. The, the handbooks and stuff like that. But they weren't – there was no – dedicated 10-issue series No, no. to someone who just uses relatively conventional weaponry. Yeah, It's no. fascinating. Yeah, it's me. great. It's great. So then we have Punisher War Journal, which I remember you and I were talking at one point about this and how interesting it was because Punisher is not a vociferous character. Yeah. There, there's a certain thing that you notice in a lot of Punisher books that it's either you just have a lead who doesn't speak a lot or he's doing internal monologues and his internal monologues I think are great and super fun and they're just grim and it's just like a look inside the angriest person in the world's head. But a lot of people go the sort of silent type and that's really difficult sometimes because like you know what he wants to do. He doesn't catch you off guard a lot in terms of like his motivations or where he's going. So like having War Journal, which is essentially his 
diary yeah, entries. You, there should be no hesitation. Yeah, he was. He's blogging. Yeah, he's. He, he, you know, it's that's the next book I'm going to do is Punisher War blog. You say it and yeah. you're joking. That's is all true. Yeah, I'm uh, joking. this is this is a book that would sell. But yeah, it, the War Journal is like amazing because it it gives this voice this character in a fascinating different way. It doesn't rely on the tropiness of the internal monologue, but it relies on this other stranger premise that like he's going home at night and writing a journal, which like. In some ways, I think it's a fascinating sort of glimpse of the character that I sort of try to go back to sometimes, which is like deep down, I think he's trying to come to terms with a lot of stuff and trying to understand stuff. And he's got a diary and I think he's like trying to process things, but it is sort of like trying to sort of understand who he is, but he's not doing the work necessary to do that. <laughs> yeah. He could have benefited from seeing a therapist. Yeah. And then working on the diary based on, like, some understanding of what could have helped him most. Yeah. But at least he's doing something. Yeah. I would love to see him get into collage yeah. or scrapbooking. Oh, that would I be think, so good. You know, I think he really just needs an outlet. The journal, like, good for him for trying. It's just not working. So what was the first Punisher comic you remember reading? <sighs> I think it was the the limited series. I didn't get them when they were new. I was baby but for some reason my older brother had them and when I started reading comics I was stealing his X-Men because they were flashy and bright but the Punisher was something that I sort of began to gravitate towards and he had a bunch of Punishers and I just remember reading it and it's this is a weird digression I guess but I remember talking to my mother and I give her all my comics and uh, she does not read them, but she looks at the covers and tells me they look nice. And I remember her having a really hard time understanding that Kingpin and Rocket Raccoon exist in the same universe, just being really confused by it. And I sort of sympathized because when I was a kid, like the idea that the Punisher, even though in this era he was in everyone else's books, going from the X-Men and the Punisher, it was like night and day. It's like a totally different world. And you just I just felt like I was stumbling on something that I wasn't supposed to be reading, which is funny because I was definitely stumbling on something I wasn't supposed to be reading. 100%. Um, but it was, it was just so shocking to me as a kid. I'd never seen anything like it. Just like the violence and brutality and just how intense it was. I mean, all the other comics I was reading were intense and action-packed, but they weren't that intense. So I, I think it was the limited series number one. I remember reading Punisher War Journal 6 and 7 at, like, camp, mm -hmm. which are the Wolverine crossover issues. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, similar to you, I love the X-Men. Sure. And then the Punisher, like, I remember, and it, it was like, what is, what's happening here? Because it yeah. was definitely not something, yeah. what, we were, like, 7 or 8-ish yeah. at that time. Should not have been reading it. No. But no. look at where we are now. It worked we out. We did fine. We're okay. We're okay. We've survived. You know, it's funny. I, I uh, My buddy Rob, he I grew up with him, and he the other day was like, hey, my mom wants all my stuff out of her house. Do you want to go get it? And I was like, no. Why would I want to go get your mom's <laughs> stuff out of your mom's house? And he was like, well, it's just old comics and hardcore records. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll go by your mom's house and pick them up. And I, <laughs> I went, and uh, I got a lot of good old seven inches. And he had all these 90s comics, and he just had them in a box and just pulling them out loose so I could flip through them. And it was staggering how many books The Punisher was guest appearing in. If your book didn't have Ghost Rider, The Punisher, Night Thrasher, or Wolverine appearing, like, your book wasn't going to have a next issue. You're like, canceled. you're done. Yeah, yeah. that was the, yeah. if they don't show up, then you're done. Which is also fascinating because, like, Night Thrasher? I love Night Thrasher, yeah. but, like, I guess not everyone's going to make it. I want to know, though, what are your favorite Punisher comics? You mentioned a couple of them, but what do you choose? Mar like I said, the Garth Ennis, Marl Max. When I was a kid, I actually wrote something about this in the back of my first issue of Punisher. Growing up in New York, I sort of, I really liked the Punisher because, you know, the city was a little rough and I was a little kid and, you know, I got scared. And I sort of gravitated towards the idea that this guy was, like, trying to make it safer and, like, would do anything to do that. And when I got a little older... I found him adequately upsetting. I think <laughs> I think the proper amount of upsetting that that you're supposed to find him. And then I was a huge Garth Ennis fan, but I wasn't. I hadn't been picking up the Punisher in a while. And when he started doing Punisher, I was like, "Well, I'll, I'll check this out." And he just recontextualized the character in such a fascinating way that he wasn't skirting around the fact that he's a bad guy. He is a bad guy. So so what does that mean? And and what does it mean that a bad guy has a net positive? That there are bad guys off the streets because another not very nice guy is killing them and like 
you know, how are we supposed to morally feel? And he examined all this and it really like rekindled my love of the Punisher in a fascinating way. I think, you know, the thing I said at the time, the, the thing that I love about the Punisher is that he's a very simple answer to very complex questions. And that's that's just true. It's it's Garth didn't change who the Punisher was in any way. He changed the world. He updated the world so that it's not a world where suddenly it's okay to shoot muggers on the subway um, to just open fire on city streets. He he made it the the world we see now, which is that it's really upsetting to do that. It's really terrifying that someone is doing that. I, I'm a huge fan of that. But again, the original miniseries I love so much. I'm a big fan of a lot of the more modern stuff. Uh, Matt Fraction's run is really weird and fun. I know it is very divisive, but I'm a huge Rick Remender fan. It's a beautiful book. But I think I think the thing that's fun about it is like, up until the point when he becomes a Frankenstein monster, it is this amazing Punisher story that like no Punisher fan would take an issue with. It is just this brutal, gritty story. And then he gets his head cut off in the middle of it. <laughs> and like I reread it when I started writing The Punisher again. I was like, I'm going to read this again. And even though I was holding the Frankenstein trade and I knew what it was and I'd already read it, when his head gets cut off, I still out loud was like, what? And I, <laughs> I, I knew it happened and I know where it was going and I've read everything that's come since. But I, it's still such a shocking moment. And I think like to dismiss that moment is crazy because it is like as fun as comics get to yeah. just be like, yeah, we're cutting his head off. And, um, and you know he's going to come back and be the – like. Unless it was like the most runaway hit in the world, like, yeah. well, this is just where we are now. Like, yeah. it, it's a story. Yeah, you gotta gotta have some ability to tell interesting stories. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's I think that's all of our sort of jobs at here at Marvel is to like push and pull these characters in in ways. And the joy of working here is knowing that like they're so much bigger than we are. That like they're gonna snap back to what everybody loves about them, but we can poke them and test them and evolve ideas and and see what sticks and and at the end of the day like the core is always going to be the core of the character and the punisher i write today is very similar to the punisher as he first appeared but he was an angel with angel guns and he was a frankenstein monster and he was all of these things that are are really fascinating uh yeah you mentioned he was a frankenstein monster an angel he's been in space yes that is sort of non-canon quote unquote he's been a ghostwriter a herald of galactus a war machine so many things yeah and and i think the fun thing is that he's always the Punisher in all those roles. He is one of the most pure constants in the Marvel Universe. For me, I love Punisher Kills the Marvel Universe. I remember Great. reading that. I bought that issue just because the cover is so cool. It's him. Over, the original cover is him over the, the bodies of all yeah. these heroes. And it's just brutal yeah. inside. Like oh, when he goes after Wolverine and uh, on the moon and all these moments. Yeah, yeah. All the Max stuff I think is great, whether it's Garth or it's Jason and of course, yes, you mentioned Ennis and Dylan, just like some of my favorite comics of all time. For sure. Yeah. Now, what are Punisher's powers and abilities? He can fly. Uh-huh. Uh, he, Shoot, uh, he has x-ray vision. He has x-ray vision. Yep. Uh, he can read your mind. No, uh, his powers and abilities are he's really, really angry and sentence. He's, uh, no, he's the most resourceful fighter, but he has no superpowers. He's just creature driven by pure rage and he has an amazing tactical mind and a great fighting ability and he's willing to do things other people aren't willing to do which makes him hard to kill yeah hard to kill is is really a big part of it uh, yeah like he's a dude but he's more than that in whatever metaphysical unsubstantiated way yeah he just is you know he's a as much of a force of nature as it's possible to be without actually being a force of nature that yeah that's a great way to put it i think there's a there's a time you know especially the the 80s 90s when the wolverine and punisher the rise of those characters to being what they are today wolverine in that time also wasn't this character who was this godlike kind of immortal both of them were just guys who when you knock them down they get back up always and that's how they win. And I, I think there's something that really resonated with people about that. And Wolverine's sort of become this other thing. And, and I love what he's become. But the Punisher has never really shifted from that. He is just the guy who, you know, you hit him with a truck and then you run over him. And in your rearview mirror, you see him stand up and write down your license plate. And you're like, well, okay. <laughs> well, that was a bad call. <laughs> yeah. Going to see that guy again Whoops. soon. How'd you get the job writing Punisher comics? Well, I... Um, I 
bribed a lot of people. <laughs> no, I you know I I was I was pretty vocal about being a big fan of the Punisher, and uh, you know I told Axel Alonso, who was the editor in chief at the time, that I loved Punisher, and Jake Thomas, who's actually my editor on Punisher now, but is also the editor who brought me into Marvel. I mentioned to both of them whenever I could that I was a big Punisher fan, and. Becky Cloonan was wrapping up her run and they came to me and said, you know, do you want to do a, a Punisher thing for Legacy? And I said, yeah. And we sort of went from there. That's great. Oh, thank you. Yeah. What are the things you keep in mind when you're writing a Frank Castle story? You know, I, it's fascinating as a Punisher writer because you talk to all these different fans who are, you know, the fans are so different. I feel like you have so many fans that come from so many different places and it's and he means different things to different people. So I'm trying to take all that in and and account for that because what I love about The Punisher isn't what other people like about The Punisher. So I'm, I'm trying to stay true to that. But I think the things that I always try and keep in mind is like I don't want to glamorize him. He's not glamorous. He wouldn't want to glamorize himself. There's a whole arc that Garth Ennis did about people looking up to him and him not being okay with it. You know, he doesn't consider himself a hero. He doesn't consider himself a good guy. He considers himself just balancing the scales. I think that's really important. I think really trying to examine sort of what he is morally is, is sort of important to me. I know that's not for every writer, but I'm putting him squarely in the Marvel Universe. Some writers sort of section him off and, and keep him isolated. I want his feet firmly in the Marvel Universe because we have this great moral compass that we understand. We understand Captain America and we understand Spider-Man. And so it's easy to like examine and balance Frank off of those characters. And so I'm trying to do that. And I think the the last thing is uh, you just have to be inventive and, and keep it sort of over the top and, and crazy. I think like you read a Punisher book and if you're not like screaming whoa at least once an issue, you're not getting your money's worth. And so that's what I'm trying to do. And, you know, God bless uh, Jake Thomas and Mark Bass and my editors because there is a constant every week note that's like, Matt, you can't do this. And, like, <laughs> you just poke at it and test it. And, like, I've never more felt like I've made – I've turned my editors – they're great editors, but I've turned them into goalies where they're just try, – I'm trying to get things past them just to, like, shock people. And, and you know, in my defense and, and in their to their credit, like – I had a Punisher in the War Machine armor tear a guy in half. Yeah. I had him fly top speed and dissolve a guy in the air, basically. He's bitten off people's fingers. He's thrown guys off of rooftops into, like, the middle of midtown Manhattan. He cut a guy's head off with a subway train. Yeah. And those, so this is the stuff that got through. This is the stuff that got through. Yeah, there's, oh. a, there's, a, there's a lot that I can't talk about that is on the cutting room floor. <laughs> there is a constant now every week with Jake. I just say, hey, by the way, I'm going to do this in a couple months. And he goes, no, you're not. And that's basically how we end every email. It's just <laughs> me reminding him that I'm going to do my best to do something and him informing me that I definitely won't. And we're going to see. Yeah. We're going to see. I'm yeah. pretty sure he's going to win but because he always wins. But, you know. <laughs> these last few months have revealed things to me about you. In reading these books, I was like, oh, Matt has a darkness within him oh, yeah. in putting these stories together, which I'm glad you you know you put it on the page. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So yeah. What, what is in store for the book? To get people up to speed, basically, uh, Frank was the war machine for a little bit. He was running around doing a job for Nick Fury, and he basically overthrew a fascist government, killed their army, and killed their president, and then gave up the war machine armor. He came back to New York with it and tried to just be the Punisher in the war machine armor, and the superheroes of New York said, that's not okay. Which I, I thought, I want to make sure to point out, a really great moment I loved was Rhodey like talking to Frank soldier to soldier in a way that most superheroes will never be able to talk to Frank oh, in the yeah. way that Captain America can talk to Frank or Carol could talk yeah. to Frank. Like Rhodey had to talk to him. Yeah, yeah. That was like a major a major thing in the book because Carol could have talked him out of it. She's Air Force and he's Marine. But she didn't she was so angry that he yes. was in the armor that she never tried. Because she had an emotional stake yeah, in that because of Rhodey. Because of Rhodey. And when I when I started talking about the book, I was like, look, if we put him in the armor, only two ways to get him out. And I said, you're either literally ripping him out, having like a Thor or a Hulk literally pull him out, or 
Cap or Rhodey has to talk him out. And they were like, well, Rhodey's dead. And I was like, well. And I, I wrote up a whole plan to bring Rhodey back. And I sent it in. And they were like, this is great. Brian's bringing Rhodey back. And I was like, well, that's great too. Um, and it was great when Brian brought him back. But it was it was so serendipitous because it was right at the end of where we were going. And I was like, if Brian like changes his mind at the last minute, we're in a world of trouble because I don't know how to get him out of his armor. Like the Hulk is just going to appear and just like <laughs> peel it off of him. So he's in New York and he – he doesn't have the armor anymore, but he's developed this sort of taste for bigger bigger prey. He liked what the armor allowed him to do, but he's the Punisher, and he's not. He's more than his weapons. And so with the new run, which started a, a few months ago, Punisher number one, he is still going after that big prey, which to him is Hydra. Hydra is the biggest prey there is. And uh, he's just doing whatever he can. And so our first arc opens with the Punisher facing down the Mandarin. Doesn't go great for the Mandarin. <laughs> And by the end of the first arc, Punisher is captured and he's captured by heroes and Nick Fury and Nick Fury has made a deal because the Punisher is such a nightmarish problem for him that he has handed the Punisher over to Hydra, to Baron Zemo. And Nick Fury's hope is that one of them will kill the other and he doesn't care which, like either one of them being dead is good for him. So Issue six, which should have just come out, I believe, is the beginning of the Punisher in Begalia, in Hydra custody, in Hydra nation, basically. Yeah. The way Punisher Frank looks by the end of that issue is wild. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't want to spoil anything. We'll, we'll let folks read it. Check it out. It's real good. Make sure you all remember that Marvel's Punisher season two is available now on Netflix. It's going to be an intense season two. Check it out exclusively on Netflix. Matt. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. Always. All right. Big thanks to Matt, who came so far to be on the show. Just a train ride away. Uh, very happy he could be here. Uh, and with Punisher on the brain, our question of the week is, what is your favorite Punisher story? I uh, want to make sure to remind you guys that Twim URC is coming up soon. That is our This Week in Marvel Unlimited Reading Club, and that is with C.B. Sabolsky. He and I will be talking about Marvel Comics number one. We are working to make sure that it, this is up and promoted in the Marvel Unlimited app on Marvel.com. It is Marvel Comics number one, very easy to find in. Send your tweets uh, using hashtag twim urc that's t-w-i-m-u-r-c uh you can also email your thoughts your comments about the issue to twim podcast at marvel.com and with that in mind it's time for community we've got an email in here this is from dino from washington and he says hi guys long time listener first time writer you guys are great the end. That was it. That was That's a whole letter. That was... We're just going to stop there while we're ahead. No, he has so much more. Uh, he <laughs> says, the show is absolutely marvelous. Oh, I see what you did there, Dino. To answer your question about favorite Fantastic Four member, I pick She-Hulk. She's my fave because she's just Jenny that smashes the block. Dino continues saying, anyway, I'm writing to chime in on your question with Dan Slott about what happened to Doom's Tiger. Get ready to hand out a no prize. The tiger actually left Latveria to move up to Siberia, where she met a nice tiger up there, and they had a kitten. That tiger kitten is the one that Sabretooth adopts in the current Weapon X series. What are our thoughts about that? I love that story. I think that could be incredible. That sounds adorable. But. And a little scary. Definitely. But I think first person to actually address this officially was Tom Brevoort. And this was on the Fantastic Four World's Greatest Week live stream. I brought this up to him because I'm going to get every chance I can. And he said maybe the tiger used Doom's time platform and became Time Tiger. I am going to try really hard to make Time Tiger a real thing. I think you should. Yeah. I love the idea of it. I love how it sounds. Yes. But Dino, I love your thoughts as well. That is terrific. Thank you, Dino. You are awesome. I'm so glad you wrote in and so glad you listened. Yeah, thank you, Dino. Awesome letter. Yeah. Uh, we've got a bunch of tweets in this week. First one is from Edward III saying, The new twin podcast featuring Dan Slott was great. Read interviews with him but never heard Dan actually speak. The sheer energy and excitement that comes out of him when he talks about comics proves why he's a gift to the medium. He's got me excited about the Fantastic Four, which never happens. Edward, that is everything I need to hear because that is right? what we try to do all the time. And Dan is... He's like Rob Liefeld in the way that I was describing Rob as like uh, you take a like a Wolverine who's frantic and full of energy and, and really intense. You put it in a little jar. 
it's going to explode out. That is Dan. Dan is full of energy and he is so excited and loves Marvel so much. I would describe him as effervescent. Yes. He is an effervescent human being. Bubbly. Bubbly. His energy is contagious. You don't need coffee when you're around him. He's an absolute delight of a human. Yeah. Our next tweet is from Juan Chango Wences. My favorite Fantastic Four member, hands down, is Ben Grimm, the man who tries to keep the team cheery even though he's hurting sometimes. Yeah, he's a big softie under all them rocks. Well, he's technically not. He's all rocks. But you get it. The rare moments we get to see his walls down are pure magic. Love that big lug. Oh, us too. The ever-loving blue-eyed thing. He is, he's the best. Uh, Jiggy Cruz, I love Jiggy Cruz. Hi, writes Jiggy. In, Jiggy's the best. Jiggy writes in saying, Happy New Year, guys. Favorite member of the FF, gotta go with the bombastic bag man, who is just Spider-Man with a bag on his head and a Fantastic Four outfit, <laughs> but I'll give you that. But I also gotta say that the Future Foundation Spidey costume was amazing. I super love that. So basically, you're saying your favorite Fantastic Four member is Spider-Man. I mean, I get it. Yeah. The Tech Lord has a full story of tweets for us, and I'll read the first one. He says... Okay, I read Squirrel Girl to Inara and Majel as a bedtime story. Anyone who listens to me knows how big of a hit it is. Issue number 40 came out, and it's easily my twim of the year, and that was before the surprise at the end. This is the exciting conclusion. And then, without realizing we finished, we turned the page to this. Fair listeners, this is a picture of one of the Tech Lord's little girls in the pages of Squirrel Girl number 40 in the letters section. He says we... My wife was worried because she heard the screams of three little girls. Thank you, Ryan North, Derek Charm, and Marvel, and everyone. Thank you. This is awesome. Yeah, it's so cool. Uh, Inara looking amazing, dressed up as Squirrel Girl. It's so cool. Lex and, and the family have been listeners for, for years. It's ah, This makes me so happy. Uh, that's it. That wraps up This Week in Marvel for this week. Uh, we did it. Yeah. We're going to do this again all next week. Yeah. We'll be back. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jamie. And this is Marvel. Your universe. Thank you.